Good morning, noon or night, whichever it is for you. It's Harry, my uh, my son George, and our two lazy dogs queued up for the highly anticipated episode five of our podcast, Forgettable Ruminations. A lot has happened since the last episode. Kanye West has uh, thrown his hat into the three-ring circus, affectionately known as the presidential election. And when Trump or Biden wins, West vows to steal the mic and declare Beyonce first black female president of the United States. And President Trump, oh yeah, President Trump's niece Mary is on the talk show circuit, pimping her family expose, claims Uncle Donald of Orange hired a ringer to take his SAT test for entrance into the University of Pennsylvania, and that he also hired Magic Johnson to take his test for the deep state fake of a hoax the HIV virus. And speaking of Trump, he commuted the sentence of Roger Stone and uh, feeling generous, he, he pardoned John Wilkes Booth, Canadian rockers Nickelback, and uh, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for the assassination of Malcolm X. And oh yeah, free elected, he promised he'd give strong consideration for pardoning the coronavirus. So the coronavirus, that uh, heartbeat of the national consciousness, uh, it didn't stop a golfer in Sydney from being struck by lightning or didn't prevent a surfer in Maui from being bitten in half by a great white. And it in no way deterred shoppers at Publix from bum-rushing the stores for buy one, get one coconut water. But the news that really caught my interest, perked me up, was a little blurb, and it was from a Joshua P., or it was about a Joshua P. from uh, Gary, New Mexico, who tried uh, unsuccessfully to remove an M&M from an electrical outlet with a grilling fork, a brown M&M at that, a brown one. You believe believe that, George? I can understand a blue one or one of those pretzel stuff ones. And Joshua P. is now a black man. And, And that gets you caught up on the news. So, in the last episode, George and I discussed our titans of industry, imaginary rights, and most importantly, the murder of George Floyd and the ensuing protests. Uh, I don't know how strongly the protests are still going. Media coverage has uh, somewhat waned. Uh, I I guess peaceful protests just don't push the marketing meter. They're they're boring. The coverage was ubiquitous uh, when there was looting and rioting like a Liverpool soccer match. Now, nothing. Uh, Maybe the protesters should just push a little girl down a hole. Baby Jessica 2.0. That'll sell some tickets. And and clearly the protests lack organization or leadership, any kind of coherent mission statement. It's a hearts and minds pipe dream until it has all those things. Olive Garden has all those things, and seniors line up around the block for that swill. Uh, Barack Obama would have been perfect. He would have been a perfect choice. Charismatic, politically adept, adored by any camera that sees him. And as a bonus, he, he referred to Kanye West as a jackass. But, alas, he burned his talents in pursuit of that low-hanging fruit, first black president of the United States. Yeah, what a waste. But until such a one as him arises, the movement will stall until the cathartic conviction of Derek Chauvin kills the passion of the whole thing. And, and don't expect Thomas Sowell to be that phoenix. He's a, 
professor at Stanford. Uh, at least he was. I'm not sure. He may still be. But uh, first of all, he has to be about 100 years old. And secondly, he asserted in a recent interview that there is no systemic racism. His reasoning, there is no way to measure it empirically. You, you can't hook it up to a voltmeter, thermometer, perform an MRI on it. Existence depends on empirical measurement. Or, but we can't measure human emotions. Should we conclude they don't exist? Systemic racism isn't an issue of math or science. It's civic and social. And for these issues, we don our little critical thinking beanies, spin the propeller 360 degrees, and examine the data staring us in the face. 250 years of systemic slavery, while being counted as three-fifths of a person, and another hundred years before being guaranteed the right to vote. Uh, predominantly black primary schools, less funding than predominantly white primary schools. And while white Americans outnumber black Americans by five to one, black Americans outnumber whites in state prisons. And there's, there's plenty more, lots of other things we could point to. I can't hook any of it up to a voltmeter for you, professor. Like I said, I, I'm not sure he's still a professor, but I'm quite sure he's still black. But that, that digression aside, I don't, I don't want to throw water on the bonfire with my skepticism. But remember the last protest? Occupy Wall Street, the 99% movement, income inequality. Has a kind of a nice Vladimir Lenin ring to it, huh? But part of the reason it failed was branding. It was too socialist. And socialist is a boogeyman word. It's been cleverly branded as the monster under your bed. So, if you don't want socialism, and I understand some of you don't, refuse your Medicare. Take a pass on your child's Medicaid. Forgo your Social Security when you're 80. And God forbid someone steals your car, don't call the police. That's a shame, man. Good luck to you, because that's what you're going to get. And in the worst case scenario, Putin shoots an avant-garde hypersonic missile straight up your butthole. Don't go whining to the Pentagon. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the police, the military, all socialist programs, my comrades. And if you're still not convinced, we'll have toll booths every 10 miles, and you can angrily pitch your dollar into the basket to pay for your share of road costs. Uh, we'll, we'll, have the, <laughs> we'll have the screw you Mao Zedong turnpike barreling straight into Disney World. Only you won't be able to afford that snapshot of your child with many. So uh, the income fairness movement, that sounds more promising, doesn't it? And it directly impacts more Americans, though maybe not as viscerally as the Black Lives Matter movement. 99% of us. And they marched across the Brooklyn Bridge in droves. They got arrested. They occupied Wall Street, shaming and terrorizing a new breed of money grubbers with cleverly wrought placards and uh, they developed a slick online awareness campaign they didn't occupy k street or constitution avenue or pennsylvania avenue so uh, their message was muddled and they were decentralized without any discernible leadership uh, all they had going for them was being right and how were they treated like mosquitoes 
and they were ideologically framed as neo-hippie deadbeats smoking hemp or kale or Swiss chard or whatever the trendy thing was in Zuccotti Park. And they were beaten back by the wrong. When the 99ers started, the top 1% held 35% of the nation's wealth. Today, they hold 45%. And I fear the same outcome for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, legislatures across the land will throw some, some mascara on racial profiling, some eyeliner on police brutality, and, and maybe a little rouge on the, on the cheeks of income fairness. But uh, the 1% will sell us the most abundant commodity, false hope, and we'll buy it by the toilet full, no matter how bad it's starting to smell. Uh, don't get too down. Soon weed will be legal everywhere and we'll be too stoned to care. It's a brave new world out there. So in episode four, George and I listed our Mount Rushmore of Hollywood teeth. And the bit committed suicide by hurling itself into the abyss. It got no likes at all. Uh, first, George doesn't know where Mount Rushmore is. And uh, after brief history and geography lessons, he questioned why we had chosen three criminals as icons of greatness. Our advanced analytic staff said they'd rather eat bowls of old farts before hearing that thing again. So George has been a staunch champion of the First Amendment in his long three years. He says whatever the hell he wants and doesn't care about the consequences. So for George's sake, his civics lesson for today, uh, I thought I'd take a look at some of the iconic moments in the history of the First Amendment. And as I've mentioned before, my favorite is Rosa Parks. Fuck this back-of-the-bus shit, I'm taking a cab. Bullshit detected. Take precautions. Yeah, I know, George. You voiced your objection last time. But in addition, he didn't find the quote iconic at all. And we argued about it. I sent him a timeout, and he peed on my shoes, but we calmed down, came to an agreement. America's favorite quote, by far, her favorite use of the First Amendment, fuck you. And so we found a recent example of its use in an iconic way. And it needs a little bit of setup. In support of the Black Lives Matter movement, the NBA announced it would allow players to display league-approved slogans on the back of their jerseys. Then, here comes our First Amendment white knight, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. And in an open letter to the commissioner of the NBA, Hawley championed the right of players to choose their own messages. Uh, Cops' feelings matter. Suck on this, China. 1K, 2K, 3K, yay. In response, NBA reporter Adrian... Wojnarowski, affectionately known as Woj, because uh, nobody can pronounce his last name, respectfully emails the senator, F asterisk 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 U. Only Woj did not use the asterisks. And our white knight of the Senate screenshot the email and tweeted it for the world to see. His office claimed it was leaked. But who has access to his email? Yeah, himself. So the senator yelled, I'm telling mommy, ran into the kitchen, tugged on mommy's skirt. 
Mommy, Woj said a bad word. And Woj was sent to the corner without his allowance by ESPN. And that's our iconic moment of the First Amendment this week. Next week, we'll check out iconic moments of the Second Amendment. Lots of those. I enjoy these teaching moments with George. Bullshit level, DEFCON 5! I just, I, I just act put out to keep you in line. That's what you have to do when your daycare closes. Take over the teaching duties. Although they've, they've since reopened. But I also took over Movie Fridays. And that was the highlight of the daycare schedule. After Friday nap, movie time, popcorn, juice box, and leave me the F alone. Enough of you damn kids for one week. So, our first Friday night, George and I whipped up a nice charcuterie platter, poured some Sahara dry martinis, and clicked on a clockwork orange. George usually likes these old movies, but not this one. Didn't like Kubrick's over-stylized cinematography, and was outraged, absolutely outraged, by the lack of chocolate milk in the milk bar. But as dystopias go, according to George, uh, a clockwork orange is no worse than Louisiana or the Cleveland Browns. So we flipped over to George's favorite dystopia. You know, shut him up. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Bullying, ostracism, exile, year-round cold. I get all that. But where it falls apart for me is with the blizzard. Now, why would a blizzard on December 24th at the North Pole be such a rare climatic event. I would think it's common. Anyway, he's got his dystopias, I have mine. Uh, but I don't think either of us is going to enjoy the dystopia on the horizon. Uh, we may not even realize we're in it, but we'll be too distracted by Candy Crush, or we'll be too high to care. 57 different flavors of Soma to cheer us up. And for those not up to speed with your classic Soma is the drug given freely to the, uh, by the government to cheer up the disgruntled in Brave New World. And, well, as, as a quick aside, Kanye West must be up to speed on his classics because at his campaign rally, he promised free marijuana to everyone. Uh, I know Trump had to love that rally. West, Kanye West makes Trump look like Churchill. Anyway, anyway back to our wonderful Soma. Chipotle Ranch Soma, Garlic Parm Soma. And my favorite, wasabi ginger. For those who only want to be mildly unaware, vanilla bean soma. This isn't some deep state conspiracy promulgated by the Koch brothers or Walmart or the Boogaloo boys. The coming dystopia has evolved organically from the structure of our government and its institutions. It's systemic. Uh, so when Trump said the game is rigged, he was right. Only it's rigged in his favor. So he can hop down off his orange cross and lighten up with the tweet storms and, and try some Big Mac Soma with extra ketchup. So, yeah, the coming dystopia is built right into the system. Democracy. One man, one vote. But, well, or one white man, one vote. Or actually one white man who holds land, one vote. And so 120 years later, we get one white of either sex, one vote. And 45 years after that, oh, fuck it, one American, one vote. So white males constitute 31% of the population, yet 44 
of our 45 presidents have been white males. That's quite a statistical outlier, Black Swan. Uh, But the Constitution we laud as the blueprint for democracies around the world has sexism and racism built right into it. And hence my pessimism for the Black Matter movement and for the Me Too Matter movement, quite honestly. So what's coming? Further corporatization of the economy. The coronavirus will kill hundreds of thousands of local businesses. And once consumer demand returns... Only the corporates will have had enough pockets to wait it out. And only the corporates will have the money to recreate the supply. And once these corporations don't have the competition for labor, wages will plummet. Benefits will be reduced to some kind of just a day-old bagel every Friday or, or every other Friday. No 401k, no health care, and, and sick leave. Wear your mask at all times and avoid the listeria at the salad bar. Or just get sick on your day off. That's even better. Before long, you're going to be able to brag to your friends, Hey, I'm an independent contractor, a 1099 guy, or I'm a freelancer. Because the corporates are going to decide it's more cost effective for you to figure out your own taxes to pay your own health care and to plan your own retirement and more cost effective even not to pay unemployment or workman's comp in the event they terminate your contract for no other reason than you prefer family guy to the simpsons you you probably shouldn't have let that slip on facebook yes they're watching and cost effective that term that too is built in it's built into our economic system capitalism and it's and culturally too. We see it as a positive thing, being thrifty, being frugal. It's part of our culture. Uh, we all want to be cost effective on our homes. I know I do. I, uh, I cut last week, I cut George's allowance down to four Skittles a day. But the term cost effective originally meant the optimal relationship between cost and price to ensure profitability. But it has been successfully reframed by corporates to mean simply cutting costs, trimming fat. So now they've already taken your health care and retirement, and there's still just too much fat. Can't control the cost of materials, but what they can control is the cost of payroll, labor costs, your wages. And I know you believers in fundamental fairness think they'll cut the pay of upper management and force the CEO to sell one of his yachts. The company lost $12 million and paid him $5 million. You can see where the fat is. Well, you're wrong. By corporate fat-trimming standards, paying $5 million to only lose $12 million is good performance. It's your $12 an hour that's causing the drag. So, take $11 an hour or hit the exit. And here... This uh, job-gobbling virus is their ally. There will be dozens of, thank you, sir, may I have another's to take over your tedium. They'll have some corporate headhunter, and they'll call him an HR ambassador. But he's a headhunter, and he'll escort you to the exit with your severance package, a chip of Soma emblazoned with a corporate logo, and a jar of pickled beets. Uh, They're not all completely heartless. Pickled beets are delicious. 
or they may just give you a swift kick in the ass because beats cost money, you know. Uh, I imagine everyone's experience is going to be different. So here's what we do, my fellow socialists. We usher in a new regime of enlightened leaders, just as the founding fathers envisioned. We'll have a prudent and wise electorate ready to rise and defend the Constitution from our earlier bad choices. But here's the rub. 1% of our prudent and wise electorate believes the QAnon conspiracy theory. And if you haven't heard of it, you're, you're in for a treat. This one's great. QAnon theory states that there is a leftist deep state hell-bent on world domination while running an international pedophile ring with the aid of other deep state cabals around the world. And the dynamic duo of Donald J. Trump and Robert Mueller will round them up for secret military tribunals in Guantanamo Bay. And with the vermin eradicated, we'll have a utopia led by, yeah, Donald J. Trump. So that's 1% of the vote. And uh, by the way, you got to envy that imagination. Deep state cabals, world domination, international pedophile rings, and, and utopia. But I don't believe we can flip Q's acolytes. We'll just have to give them gun-shaped Soma, and they'll be too stoned to vote. So now we got to deal with the Walmart Republicans. They're never going for this fairness shit. And we'll convince Trump the Walmart Republicans are actually a cabal of blacks dressed in whiteface. They burn Russian flags every Saturday night after a day of thrifting in college football. So Trump sends in the stormtroopers, and off they go to Guantanamo Bay to hang out with the Clintons. We're making progress. A new Quinnipiac poll shows we now have the votes. But we have infighting. So we require an ideological purity pledge. If you say that dark blue car is black, you're canceled. If your butt doesn't fit in that chair, you're not welcome at this table. And that's the constitutional foundation of our coming dystopia, the, the ideological glue that holds it together. Conform or self-exile. You have no right to your opinion. But there's no need to be spooked. All you know of dystopia is from acts of fiction. Cruelty, suffering, injustice, inequality. We won't have any of that, if, if, as long as you don't count the injustice and inequality. Uh, ours is going to be a kinder, gentler dystopia. We'll have Facebook for the two-minute outrage. Uh, we'll have Netflix on our watches, McRib sandwiches every full moon. And, of course, all-you-can-eat Soma. And Trump will pass the mantle to his apprentice, uh, Kanye West, proving once and for all that black is the new orange. And this dystopia really hasn't been that bad for me and George. I take my Soma, he takes his. I don't have that 40-hour interruption of my goofing off. My job is furloughed. Uh, George goes to daycare, then comes home to update me on the latest gossip and palace intrigue in the kingdom of three-year-olds. Who's still pooping their pants? Who doesn't pick up the blocks after themselves? Who cries when their mother drops them off? The, the juicy stuff. And the director of the daycare keeps me informed. Texts, emails, phone calls. George is playing with his doink again. I, I can't help that. He gets that from his mother. 
but at the end of her emails, the director always includes a famous quote. And the last one, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Uh, one of your favorites, I know. And one of Hitler's. That's true. The writer was Nietzsche, one of Hitler's ideological inspirations. Uh, what say you to that, George? Oh, come on now. That ain't even bullshit. That's horseshit. You're right. You're right. It's utter bullshit. If you break your femur, it won't kill you. But it certainly won't make you stronger. Diabetes, MS, childhood trauma. Not getting stronger from any of those. But it kind of piqued my curiosity about how many of these great quotes just don't pass the smell test. They're just nonsense posing as wisdom. And what I found among these Mount Rushmore candidates is that few of them are really great. They're inspirational, though, and, but they're just often coined by great people. For me, a great quote is a unique insight expressed in a pithy manner and has at least a hint of truth to it. And even America's favorite quote, F asterisk 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 U, isn't insightful or pithy. It's, it, it's just merely inspirational. But looking through these quotes, something else looked very suspicious. Some of them have obviously been doctored for posterity. I know. I'm one of those people who jots down the cool shit he reads so I can pass it off as my own to someone, some unsuspecting halfwit. And uh, the first suspicious one is from Walt Disney. He said... The way to get started is to stop talking and start, start doing. Uh, but it ends there, uh, kind of abrupt and incomplete. But what Disney actually said is, The way to get started is to stop talking and start doing bad things to Jews. And while inspirational, you can't build a PR and marketing campaign for your business by advocating offenses against the Jews. Luckily, his staff revised history and gave us Disney World, where Jews are welcome, by the way. And another revised quote is from Robert Louis Stevenson, the Scottish writer, and, and Jack the Ripper, according to one conspiracy theory. The, his famous work is The Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and it was published only two years prior to the Ripper terrorizing the prostitutes of Whitechapel. But in the novel, the good Dr. Jekyll takes his Soma serum to prevent becoming Mr. Hyde. But the Soma wears off, and mayhem ensues. But anyway, that's Harry's notes for you. No need to read the Cliff Notes or the book. Uh, anyway, the quote attributed to Stevenson is, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. And this is a whitewashed version yet again. What Stevenson actually wrote was, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant in a prostitute. And Stevenson died young, so I imagine his heirs lopped off that prostitution part in order to sell the quote to Hallmark. Well, George is signaling for me to wrap it up. He's tired. And just one more thing. I got another email from Joshua P., in Gary, New Mexico. It reads, Dear Addlebrain Jackass, I find it offensive that you ethnically profiled our Indian friends regarding their prowess at spelling. 
And uh, I find an indictment of your parenting skills that you allow your three-year-old the gratuitous use of the word bullshit. P.S. I hope you fall into a sinkhole of muriatic acid. Well, thanks again, Joshua P., and thanks for not bringing up the cigarettes and the gin. But I want to thank my co-host, George, for his invaluable input and our dogs for their work on advanced analytics and search engine optimization. Uh, No success yet, but I think they'll come along after just a few more beatings. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Forgettable Ruminations, and we'll see you again next time. Mm